Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is with Henning Bayer. After leaving West Germany in his youth, Bayer moved to Berlin and founded Grounded Theory which became a key party in a city where a new brand of techno was beginning to emerge. Grounded Theory later grew into a full-blown agency and helped establish Bayer as a DJ emblematic of modern techno. But these days, his talents as a DJ, producer and label owner demand his full attention. In conversation with Matt Unicomb, Bayer describes the life-changing decision to close down his business in order to prioritize his development as an artist and his drive to make an enduring mark on the techno landscape. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Henning Bayer is up next. DJ, do you start to get a better idea about what's working where? Like you can listen to a track and straight away know that you can't play this in like a peak time set. Even though you really like it, you just kind of realize like it's not the right energy, it's too weird. Maybe 10 years ago, you would have played that track in a peak time set and figured out eventually that it's not working. Yeah, well, I think obviously you develop a way clearer idea of what works when. I think you're getting more precise in, okay, I love this track, I like it, I would play it, but I would not play it, let's say, in a festival slot, peak time in front of a couple of thousand people. But that doesn't mean that you don't take it with you, so you keep it there. And I personally, I actually like to challenge myself while playing, especially with that type of tracks that might really dramatically, or you said drastically, change the vibe of a set. That is challenging to me, but also to the people. So kind of like getting them out of their four to the floor, very predictable dance floor vibe. I mean, obviously not ruining the vibe, but just like, you know, feed something in that is a little bit more challenging and then build the rest of a set again around that. Because I think it's always a good opportunity when you're playing that you, you drop something where you're like... Hmm, let's see if this works. <laughs> you know, I, I actually like that. But of course, I mean, there's certain tracks that might be 
too lo-fi to play out and you know this will not make much sense also in favor of the overall flow and vibe of a DJ set. Yeah, I guess that's the thing because you get more experience and it becomes like, as you say, maybe you don't always want to play tracks you know are going to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never really thought about that before. I guess you're at the level now where you could play a totally functional set that you know is going to work, people are going to really love. But yeah, it would be missing this yeah, a bit surprise like, thing. Yeah, the, the su- surprise about. is actually a, a good word because there's a lot of people who can play a very functional set that like simply works. But then I think there's there's not that many who maybe dare to step out of their comfort zone during a DJ set. And um, I think that at least keeps it interesting for me, you know, changing rhythms, changing somehow, yeah, the tonality of, of a set. Yeah, I don't know, makes it interesting for me, especially when you play often, when you play a couple of times, like, during one weekend that's the key isn't it yeah like how long have you basically been djing a few times a month Mm, for the last or for the past two to three years now and once this kind of starts happening does your level go up immediately i think you're getting more a a routine dj i think that does not automatically mean that you're getting a, a better dj i'm constantly working of getting better whatever better means Better in reference to what I see, you know, or where I maybe feel myself. Yeah, you're getting routined. Yeah. And maybe even, I wouldn't say bored. No, bored, definitely not bored because there's always adrenaline involved, you know, playing for people, having people <laughs> watch yourself, expecting a good performance, expecting to, yeah, to, to play a dope set. So it's not getting bored boring but you you never play a complete new set because i guess you've been mixing for so long like uh you know the tracks there's not much more to learn even though you say you are learning maybe you learn slower once you're at this level yeah you know? i mean it also the the your performance is determined by external facts let's say technical situation and also i had the conversation with someone actually past weekend when i played fabric afterwards it's also how good you perform is also determined by the mood in the crowd you know the energy they are giving you how they make you drop the next record and drop you know just like and and every record is dope or there's nothing really coming back and you're like what am I doing here? For you to feel good, you have to be getting some kind of energy back. Oh yeah, that's very essential. You know, especially like for me very much. I mean, I don't need, I like this, not the, not looking at you or cheering at you. I get confused when people watch you too much. When they look at your hands, like every move you do, every knob you turn, they're like, yeah. It's a bit weird, isn't it? It, it freaks you out a bit. It, it can be very, very weird. And you're like, I had I had a couple of situations where I was like, I was mixing and you see a person being obsessed with vo- watching you. And then you look up and you're like, 
Why are you looking at me? This is a party, man. Yeah, just like give him some drink tickets. (laughs) Get yourself a drink. Just dance or whatever. But I think it is sometimes, you know, obviously when you're a DJ or when you are like more familiar with the scene, like people mixing, DJing, you know what they're doing. But I think sometimes people are just simply overwhelmed or cannot comprehend what is going on, which actually is a a good sign because they're like, what is this guy doing? It's there? not some weirdo trying to steal tricks. It's like someone who is somehow blown. Like, whoa, what the hell is he even doing exactly, up there? Exactly, like watching your hands, watching your moves. What, what, I, what is this? What is the DJ doing here? You know, and having obviously a good time, maybe a bit drunk. You know, but sometimes this is. It, it can be a bit bothering. Yeah, so I I obviously like this, you know, cheering in a crowd or you just feel that people just like having an incredible time, just losing their self on the dance floor, dancing. So this obviously is the type of feedback, like this instant feedback on what you're doing, which like ma- makes you kind of like ele- elevates also your capabilities. And sometimes you're like, wow, what am I doing here? It's just like, you know, you, you, you drop a dope track after a dope track after a dope track. For me, at least, this is the instant gratification for what you're doing as a DJ. You're on your way back to Berlin after a gig. How are you feeling like at the end of each weekend? Maybe you've played on Friday and Saturday. It's a mix of being tired and fatigued because you didn't sleep much. You maybe had one or two vodka shots too much. When the two, two gigs were satisfying, which... To be honest, is not always the case. When they were satisfying, it's just like it's it's somehow very relaxed. You know, all the the tension maybe you had before or when you left Berlin, because you maybe you went to a new club, you've never been before, a new city, um, or you just you maybe didn't feel very well, you didn't sleep well, whatever. There's something there was something on your mind that kept bothering you. But then you go on the weekend, you play Friday, you play Saturday, you had great times and then you're on your way back sitting in in the airplane maybe listening to to some i don't know i have a certain ritual i'm i'm listening to tangerine dream basically on every flight i am and you're you're like you know you let your mind just like recap what happened and you're like yeah that was actually very nice (laughs) and i get paid for it (laughs) and you get and you get paid for it paid in terms of obviously in a monetary sense, but also in this gratification or, or the payment that is like, you know, uh, a very emotional one. Because I've been thinking lately, like, about being a DJ. Like, what other jobs can you go around and you're basically almost always just, unless you play some horrible gig, the energy you're getting back from people is only positive. That is something actually I try to be aware of constantly that this is something very very unique and not everyone uh, is in the lucky position to have that type of job there's a lot of people who hate their jobs who really hate their jobs and feel like in a cage but what we are doing i mean yeah there's complaints about traveling there's complaints about hotels and there's complaints about waiting at the airport but when you break it down it's complaining on a very high level you know it is something that it's good to remind yourself of and i think everyone when you have a, a like a <laughs> when you have a quiet minute realizes in what like 
wonderful position we are in. Were you doing the Grounded Theory booking agency before you started DJing? As you say, like you started getting more gigs like two or three years ago. Your day job was basically this agency. Yeah. Or were you also working elsewhere? When I started the party series, the event series, about seven years ago, together with my my good friend Misha, I was obviously working another day job. And first we did the events and out of the events, the booking agency grew. The more and more busy the events, the agency and myself as a DJ got, then I stopped working that like normal day job. So when did you stop? That was about four years now. Is it a big life change? Do you feel better? Like, are there downsides to just doing music? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, it is something I chose to do and something that developed into a very positive direction. And when you then realize you do not need to to do something else to pay your bills, you can just simply focus on what is, like, really the main element, the driving the driving part in your life, then I would definitely call it a, a like a very important changing point in your life, yeah. Has your lifestyle changed a lot? This is basically a Saturday for you, right? A Wednesday? What day is it's today? Like, it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday, So this yeah. is like your weekend. So I've pulled you in on holiday day. Well, basically, <laughs> because it is something I chose to do, I don't need that like kind of like you know, day off. I mean, obviously you need a day off every now and then, but then there is no chance, uh, no, no, no problem to like just work straight for like, you know, 10 hours because uh, t- 10 days, because there's always time when you can relax or when you can step a little bit back because it is not a normal job where you're working for someone else that I'm in the urgent need of that like weekend that design of a weekend, you know. Yeah, you're kind of operating outside the normal social. Oh yeah, yeah. Like also, I mean, I I have sometimes I have a very weird like sleeping rhythm. Of course, you know, I I go bed I go to bed very late, and I wake up when people are already awake since a few hours. Yeah, I try to have a more normal rhythm that um, is according to everyone else's rhythm. As much as I love the night and I love the vibe during the night and the energy flow during the night, I get a lot of stuff done during the night. But when you wake up at, I don't know, let's say 11 or 12, and then for a few people the day is already half over, you're just waking up. I try to to get into a more normal rhythm. Maybe it's because you're a business guy for a while. You didn't have to do just DJing. You're more active. Yeah. Less lazy. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I'm restless. That is something that that is a big element of my life. I like to make things happen. I I was always like driven by by this need of doing something. I always had like when you look at like my career in that music business, I was basically doing everything with my own very own hands. So I had to get stuff done to get it done. You know, there was no one doing this for me. I mean, of course, I mean, I had, uh, together with Misha, we were doing the events together. But when it comes to to the booking agency, I determined the success, you know. So I was like, okay, you get it done or you don't get it done. When you don't get it done, no one else will get it done for you, you know. So I was like... No gig that weekend. (laughs) Exactly. So I was constantly in the position of, it's my choice. I want to do it. I want to work for it. You know, at the end of the day... I do not owe 
anyone a favor. I'm free, you know. I And there was a time, I mean, this changed now because end of last year, I closed the booking agency. So the booking agency is now over because I, I found myself at a point, at kind of a crossroad, where I was like, okay, where do I want to go now? You know, because our all capacity and time is limited, you know. And running an agency, even though I wasn't doing bookings as a booker anymore, but I was managing the agency. I had people, like I had employees, you know, being there and running the agency in the in the background means still a lot, a lot of time and effort. And on the other hand, I I got more and more busy as an artist in terms of producing music and DJing. So the 100% capacity was maxed out, but it was split between these two parts, like business and this creative life, which also includes business, you know. And I made the decision because I thought, and I'm still thinking, you know, the past seven years and the development and the split of my capacity and energy resulted in that I didn't, I couldn't give 100% as an artist yet. So I, I made the decision to close down the agency and who was taking care of my bookings, I, I gave that to an agency I fully trust in. So I do not have to worry about this anymore. I do not have employees anymore, so I'm not responsible for them anymore. So I can 100% focus and concentrate on, on DJing and producing music. And I experienced this, this the new energy and new capacity where I'm like, oh yeah, I, did, I wasn't aware of So you feel way better now? Yeah, I feel a lot of energy these days, especially when it comes to producing music, putting out music and DJing. Because there is nothing else I have to share my energy with. You know, there is no booking agency business anymore, which resulted in more energy and more capacity for, for, for being an artist. So what was Berlin like when you started Ground in Theory in 2009? It seemed like for a while you and Dystopian were the two main techno parties. Were there others around when you started? Actually not. I mean, of course, there were the established clubs, Trezor, Berghain. As independent promoters, there was only Grounded Theory and Dystopian, as much I was aware of. I mean, I, they, I'm, I'm pretty much sure there, there were other, other um, uh, event series going on. But in our universe, in our techno universe, there was only us, like the two crews. It was seven years ago, so we were all seven years younger, less experienced. And again, talking about innocence, we were all way more innocent than we might be now because we have seen a lot of things going on. It felt very fresh, actually. And outside of Trezor and Berkheim, there was not much going on in terms of techno. So it was also kind of a challenging time. I remember when, when I, I visited or I met um, Norman Notch before our very first party, he wished us a lot of luck that we are or that we will make this happen and that we can establish something because as far as I remember, he was a bit, yeah, I don't know. He, Everyone we spoke to were like, well, okay, let's see. Good what, luck with that. Yeah, good luck with that. You know, they were like, hmm, these young kids, let's see. But then obviously we were at the right time, at the right place. And I think we established something that inspired, when you look at the landscape of promoters these days, I think that inspired quite a few people. 
with what they are doing now as like same as we got inspired by more the club institutions, you know. Because that's the thing, I guess back then, I wasn't living in Berlin then, but there was the idea that like Berlin's a techno city. But actually, aside from the main clubs, like how many good party techno parties are there on any weekend? Berlin is not as much techno as it could be, I think. Do you think it used to be, there would be parties with our kind of techno all over the place 20 years ago? It used to be bigger. I don't know it was bigger. I think it is quite big these days, you know. But definitely before Berkheim, there was already like this scene going on, you know. And after, there will also be this scene going on. And um, I came here 12 years ago. And when I came here, um, there was already this like the scene in full swing. I am not an, an, an original Berliner it feels difficult to me to like really talk about what was going on in detail. I can definitely say that where I came come from, there was techno going on. So I assume, and I'm pretty sure that in Berlin it was the same case, whereas I think that Berlin has always been very different to the rest of the country. Our starting point is seven years ago. I came here 12 years ago. So of course the times were different. Um, that, that, that doesn't mean that they were obviously better or worse. They were just like, different and we we took the chance to to do something because we were driven by this again innocence and believe that we can change change something or or give something back from what we have received over the 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 years that we were just like yeah let's give it a try what kind of music was being played in other clubs in 2009 was it this berlin tech house melodic thing i mean yeah you had you had uh, bar 25 and we all know what this stood for or still stands for because i was overwhelmed by what i experienced at berkheim so i was going mainly to berkheim yeah i guess once you're hooked on techno yeah, you well, wouldn't be going to these random... Uh... Exactly, that's the thing. And, and um, it was quite a mon- monoculture for me. You know, I went to Berkheim every weekend. Every weekend. I knew every stone in that building. I knew everyone. We knew everyone. We knew each other. So we, we founded this, like this, the basis. And out of that, we, as in Misha and I, we developed our idea of what we want to give back, like I said earlier, you know, we, 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 we had this, we, we came up with this idea of how to participate, not only as, as ravers and living this, like, you know, ex, excess, you say excess, excess? Like hedonistic exactly. kind of thing. Yeah. You know, um, that, that has always been a very important element of it, will o- and will always be. Yeah, at some point we decided to create this playground for the hedonistic approach of just rave, you know, and access and like, you know, just living the moment and forget the world, you know. Yeah, I mean, I remember I went to clubs like uh, Sternradio, PolarTV, and there was this, yeah, you would maybe refer to it as this electro-clashy, very strong Berlin local heroes like Woody, Hausmeister and stuff like that. I remember those parties quite well and that was a very good time actually. Yeah, But um, I my heart was always beating techno because Frankfurt was pretty much techno city. Yeah? And, you know, it was like the, the that minimal era. Techno was somehow... It felt it was it was pretty far away, 
was still going on, but it wasn't very it wasn't very present in the in the club scene in Frankfurt. Here oh, in yeah. Berlin, when I came here, it was like this vacuum, I think, and that's why uh, the early years of Berkheim or the, the 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 new emerging techno was also different to to what we have these days. Yeah, so it was like you know this transition phase from from this minimalish to like more techno-y style of techno. You know, so I felt this vacuum of like proper techno. So what's the difference now? What's the sound like now compared to Berlin in like 2007? I guess they were playing way slower. Slower. And I think these days, besides that it is pretty fast again, it's also very hard. Yeah. Yeah. There's a tendency at the moment that is like this very like banging. It's this UK thing, right? Yeah, like really raging like heart kicks and percussions. And that was... Different. I think when you listen to the the first Barkan Mix CD, that is still a reference of what was the sound back then. When I listen to it, it reminds me a lot on what was going on uh, years ago. So it was like definitely slower, more melodic. It was a different time and a different sound, but it felt as something new, changing in terms of where where the journey will go. Have you enjoyed the progression to where techno is at now? Yeah, of course. And I can say that I feel part of it, not only as a techno lover, a raver, I'm part of it in terms of an artist. I participate and I, that at some point I realized I have the possibility to produce content, to to create music, to create art. That is part of us. Yeah, of the you can scene. add to this whole thing. Exactly. You can, yeah. This is something very, very powerful that you become part of a movement and that you realize that with what you do, you give that your own personal twist in terms of originality. That you, yeah, have this very powerful tool of giving something into this like machine, you know, and like feed it. So, when did you have that realization and why? I was always playing around with synthesizers and software. Even before I moved here, I, I think I was like at the age of like 16, 17, 18 when I, when I started like having a first contact to producing music. But there was never someone who told me or showed me. There was no... I was basically uh, kind of like an autodidact. And then things got more into the direction of hardware and I enjoyed that quite a lot and um, but it was more like just playing around there was never like the idea of recording music and putting that out because there was like I think I never thought about that there is the chance to do that but then when I met Milton that was in late 2009 because he played our second party in December I actually heard about the story, how you actually met, how you got given his record. Who is this guy? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I mean, I I contacted him via MySpace because I wanted to buy his third release on Do Not Resist the Beat because I got Marcel Detman gave me the first Do Not Resist the Beat two minutes after Milton dropped the first batch of records at Hardwax. And I bought it without listening to it, just based on Marcel saying... You have to listen to this. Take this, dude. Take this. So I took it, took it home, put it on the record player, and I was like, damn, this is pretty 
dope. It, it's very nautical. You can refer to it as deep. But it was something like I maybe haven't heard before that like caught my attention. I didn't really pay attention to who produced this. Just saw this do not resist a beat. Yeah. They were that was the time when there were a lot of white labels, you know. So white label was like white label releases were quite in fashion. So it was just another anonymous or white label project where you didn't really put um, attention to who produced this. You know, this like wax. It's like equalized. Marcel Devon selling you his own record. Yeah, take this yeah. one. <laughs> you know, also the first MDR releases, they were just like hand-stamped white label action. That's how they, you know, described it on, on Hard Wax on the, on the website. I bought like number one because of uh, Marcel um, actually telling me to buy it. Um, I bought number two and when number three came out, it was sold out at Hardwax, and uh, I got in touch with Milton via MySpace. We met up in front of Hardwax. Um, he sold me his record. To that time, we have we did already number one, like uh, GT number one, and we were planning the second party. I asked him if he would be interested in DJing, and I mean, afterwards, I realized that his main approach of like, or why he put out music was that he had a time where he was like very, very, he, I mean, he grew up with techno and um, then he, he left techno for a bit because he wasn't, he didn't feel inspired by what came out. And then he put, he started producing music, music and putting it out to basically DJ again. So I hit a, uh, a soft spot and I asked him if he would be interested in DJing for us. And of course, he said, yes, sure. This is on the spot at Hardwax. Out on front of on Hardwax. the spot in front of Hardwax. And this is then how, how our relationship um, actually was initiated, you know. And he played a good set the first time? As far as I remember, it was actually pretty good. It was, um, who played? It was uh, Don Williams, Convection, Oliver Ho. And Milton Bradley. So you've always been into this UK stuff. If you had Oliver Ho. Yeah, uh, I mean, I before I did my own parties and before I put out my own music, I was I had always a strong connection to to the UK in terms of music. I was very I was a big 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 fan of this wonky techno, Neil Landstrom, Mark Hawkins, Michael Forshaw, like these very rough and nasty Seabeck and. Um, you know, there's this label Sativa, Subhead, Trezor. I still refer to it as as definitely an inspiring genre. So my my connection to UK techno has always been very strong, and I enjoy playing that type of music quite a lot. Yeah. Do you meet many people who have had this? Like, see how you say Milton uh, stopped being inspired by techno for a while. It seems like it happened to a lot of people in the early. 2000s maybe I've heard that story a lot and I just wonder what was going on that so many people didn't like well I think there was this extreme hype of minimal techno and this loopy techno killed it somehow you know so when you look at what was uh, happening end of the 90s beginning of the 2000s there were like very hard and repetitive loop techno and that just like killed killed the scene, killed the killed the techno movement, and then after that came this this very strong and uh, you couldn't es- escape the the minimal hype and the presence of minimal techno everywhere. So people who used to play downwards would then sw- would have switched to like start playing minimal. 
Well, I think, you know, some people changed and adjusted to what was going on and what was in fashion because it, I think to some people it also felt fresh and you go with the flow. Um, but I think a lot of people just just either stopped or kept on doing their thing, but they were definitely not present and not on their radar because no one wanted to listen to that stuff, you know. So when then techno came back, I think a lot of people somehow woke up again, you know, uh, this, what you say, hibernation, you know, was over, <laughs> you know. Yeah, they were like, oh yeah, I think techno is back. And then they started either doing music again or started their career after they have experienced techno as a raver years ago, then maybe we're not that interested anymore in going out because the sound changed, the aesthetics changed. They were just like, you know, they were busy with something else. And then, yeah, I don't know, techno came back and um, they were again inspired and took the chance. Or young kids who had like no history or like let's say in the early 90s who were just too young I, w I mean I was also too young to like you know refer to myself as a raver beginning of the 90s you know I was like nine years old or something you know so I, I grew up with that second wave of techno and 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 or became part of the scene when did you start buying techno records Oh, that started actually quite early. I think when I was around 16, because my sister is eight years older. And I remember my sister, she got her driver's license in 1995. She drove to May Day 1995 in Dortmund. She was going to techno raves, you know, she had a boyfriend who was a DJ. And actually he inspired me in terms of buying records and DJing. He also inspired me in terms of producing music. He was in, living in the city of Essen, which is like near Cologne. And he was a resident DJ there. So he visited my sister and he brought his records. And I got into this, uh, the art of DJing because of him. And I got my first uh, set of turntables and, and a mixer to a time when that was affordable so I, I didn't my first decks weren't weren't techniques I think it was like reloop players you could buy in an, in a magazine called, uh, called Elevator and I started buying records uh, there were mail orders but I bought them yeah in a physical store going to going to stores in Frankfurt there was delirium and uh, I was actually quite active in terms of traveling to clubs you know I was born or grew up and lived near Frankfurt so we drove to Frankfurt to rave and also to buy records we drove to Cologne to go to warehouse or to buy records in in a Cologne store we drove to uh, Kassel where there was Stammheim I drove to Hamburg to Phonodrom, that was another club. Yeah, we were quite active in terms of driving through the country and going to clubs. So if you're a German mom and your son or daughter gets hooked on techno and is traveling around to clubs, going to raves, in Australia, my mom would be terrified. It just seems like it's so much more accepted here in Germany. Maybe there wasn't this idea of like, oh, my son's going to go to a rave and die. You know? Yeah, like, well... What's it like? Well, I have to say that I have parents that gave me the freedom of doing everything I want. Because I think 
their strong belief is that they can't stop or couldn't stop me from doing it anyways. So they were like, Henning, if you think this is the right thing to do, then do it. If you fail, no problem. We will still be here. Um, so I always had the feeling of whatever I do, my parents trust in me, you know, in every, in every sense of my life. Yeah, when it then comes to techno, maybe there was like, they weren't really aware of what it means, you know. Not that there were like crazy things going on, but, but I think if they would have known what in detail happens in a club or at a rave, they would have been more concerned and more nervous lying in bed knowing their son where's El Henning <laughs> exactly you know so it was it was a it was a combination of simply not knowing what was going on with their trust in okay if this is his thing you know then it's his thing you know so is the guy that inspired you to DJ does he know what you're doing now does he know you're a DJ well it's actually very funny i produced my very very first techno track in a studio he was running with his friend. I think I still have, because I visited him where he was living and reproduced this track. I think I still have it somewhere on a tape, somewhere. Well, that was about it. Like I said, he was inspiring me in terms of like DJing and also this whole music thing. He split up with my sister, so he was away at some point, you know. But then, thanks to social media, I got contacted on my artist page through his friend who sent me a message like oh are you the brother of Julia Henning you remember me and I was like man yeah I do I actually do I do so we got in touch and we spoke and we were having a really really great conversation about what was going on back then and then he also put me in touch with my sister's ex-boyfriend. Yeah, we had also like a, a short conversation. So yeah, he is aware of what we are doing. And I, I actually told them, I think because of you, of you guys, I am doing what I am doing. And um, that was actually quite, uh, yeah, that was a very, very nice moment. You know, after all these years, that's, yeah, like 16 years ago. I guess there was probably nice for him to hear as well. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he, from what I know, is that he has no connection to techno and like whatsoever. His his friend uh, Rudy, he is tour managing, more into like a, a commercial side of uh, electronic music. But Timo, that's his name, he is doing something completely different. Yeah, but but nonetheless, I mean, it was it was a very it was a very interesting moment when you reflect and and all of a sudden realize because yeah, I mean, we, I was very young and I, you know, I didn't think about what was basically going on and what like what I'm I doing now is like has where where the connections between sixteen years ago and now are, but. People from, like, I grew up with, they contacted me and they told me my first girlfriend, she also reached out to me and she said, oh, it's funny to see that dreams can come true. I was like, what do you mean by that? She was like, you always wanted to be a DJ. And I was like, oh, did I say that? So, you know, the puzzle is coming together. You know, for me, it was not, it was never like a hip thing to do. You know, I was just like following what I'm, I felt, you know, and there was no 
there was no concept of okay i have to do this and that to yeah so it was like it was like this very natural ongoing like evolution this is the purest thing this is what the best djs are like they're not doing it for ego they're not doing it because it makes them look cool in front of their friends yeah. it's just somehow inside them that's why there are so few really good djs because most people are doing it for other reasons yeah exactly because i think you know these days artists djs producers appear different than they did like years ago i think let's say a 21 year old boy or girl might have a different idea of what it means to be an artist than i might have had with 21 or even younger you know the definition of what it means well also back then might have been different for everyone else but the way i experienced it because i was not i i never had the idea of making this my career becoming a professional dj or producer there was i was just like enjoying it i was enjoying myself i was enjoying first of all going to raves listening to techno in a dark room with strobe light with my friends buying records spinning records playing around with software having a certain interest in synthesizers even though there is no musical background in my family you know it really came from my inner whatsoever there was no one who showed me this triggered this or whatever and then like yeah 16 years later you you speak to the guy who took you to his studio and you produced yeah a track with him and you're like yeah man now the picture becomes kind of like complete yeah do you still have many friends that aren't into techno like that aren't deep into this whole thing like old friends from school mm. or is it the further you get deep the deeper you get into music maybe the less you interact with people who aren't well i have to say that i i had to escape where i grew up escape in terms of that i was always very different to everyone else i think i didn't have an easy time in school i was always the one who made the most trouble I was always the one who did not understand the concept of authority. I was the one who nearly got kicked off school, banned from you know school trips. What's the worst thing you did at school? Anything that's like, oh, I don't know, just like just stupid stuff. Mischief. <sighs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I didn't fit into the the the, the system yeah. thing. Yeah, like many others, I had quite a tough time to go through all this. And like I said, my sister is older. She moved away. She always wanted me to leave as well. So She, where? What's the town you're actually from? It's in between Frankfurt and Cologne. It's called Koblenz. Uh -huh. But I had to escape there because at some point after I finished my school, I had the feeling that the sky is falling on my head. You know, because it is very West German. I wouldn't say countryside style, but just like, you know, not a very inspiring surrounding for maybe a character like me, you know. So I, I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. And my sister, she, she moved to Hamburg and she was a good example or she was actually, she was a reference to me. Yeah, then I moved to Berlin with uh, 21. I never lived alone before. I was living with my parents and um, yeah, 
then I I decided to go to Berlin. I think that was a more difficult time for my parents um, than knowing her son is going to techno raves with like 16 or 17. Yeah. So for them, this was more challenging because obviously the, the distance, yeah, 600 kilometers away and um, like the, the big city of Berlin that gave them more sleepless nights. Yeah. So in your hometown, was the was there an idea of Berlin being this weird place? I do think so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that typical design of a West German city beginning of the 2000s was very different to what was going on in Berlin. And they had a clear view or idea of what is going on in Berlin. Yeah, it's like this, you know, the capital, you hear a lot of stories on, you know, news, like crime whatsoever. Going to Berlin or going away from there to Berlin, for me, it was very, very needed and very essential. Otherwise, I would have been caught up by this or I would just have been the guy, yeah, still making trouble. I found my peace here. I didn't want wanted to be the guy who will always stick out of everyone of the mess you know but down there you know you do something and i saw on you boy did him again you know but here you know i came here and i realized no one actually cares what you are doing and i found this very yeah that gave me peace that gave me the chance to just like sit back and relax and then obviously also doing this cut and like cutting off all the, you know, the the connections to the people um, allowed me to to realize who I am really. Yeah. Then founding uh, finding um finding techno as this main element of my life, making your hobby to your career or your job, you know, that was like very satisfying and fulfilling. Yeah. What is actually important to mention in terms of my evolution as an as an artist is that um, I always enjoyed and I always will enjoy that business part of it. You know, I think those dynamics in the scene when it comes to the people in the background that is something that interests me a lot. You know, I was always, like I said, interested in making things happen doing my own thing, doing it maybe different than other people would do it. It is something that I always wanted to leave my footprints because I said, when I leave this world, when I leave this planet, I want to say that I participated and I, I, you know, something that I did might have had a relevance to some people that might have affected other people, inspired other people, you know, might it be business-wise, let's say, you know, uh, the event series that inspired other people, but also music-wise, you know, I, I want to create something that has a relevance and that inspires other people and that overlives time or people can refer to as something as part of techno scene you know, the, the, the the creative world. With closing down the agency and starting starting my own label and having this platform to to release music that I feel is important to to put out, 
is is something that that somehow somehow a second spring of my personality, you know, because I I again I cut connections or I I cut things off like okay I stopped the agency something that that was actually a, a main element that took a lot of my energy and capacity and I got rid of it for good you know because I believe in that sometimes we have to we have to let things go and put things to an end and be challenged same like in a DJ set when you play that record where you are a little bit unsure of how this will go but it is good to do so because then you first of all you cannot say you didn't try and you just went the the conventional way the way that works you know so yeah closing this down and saying okay in favor of 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 myself and to to experience this the, the new wave of of creativity i shut this down before i lose lose the grip you know that that's what I what I experienced throughout my life. That I I have to keep it fresh for myself. Otherwise, at some point, I just get bored. You know. So yeah, having this the this new platform, closing down quite a few things made me think of new possibilities for the future. You know, this is mainly in in creative sense. When you talk about performance, why not working on a live set? Why not working on an album? You know, all of a sudden, all this because of yeah, having the time to making your mind about things and new things and new possibilities to express yourself become relevant. And you're like, yeah, that sounds like a good yeah, idea. Instead of doing emails. Exactly. I can like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do not write. I mean, when I look into my, like the inbox, not that long ago, I realized, man, I'm not sending a lot of emails anymore. This is great. You know, what am I doing? Oh, I spend a lot of time in the studio. I got a, an even clearer idea of how I want to produce music. I can simply focus on being an artist. This is what I always wanted. And I was aware of this, that I come to this point already a few years ago. But, you know, I wasn't done with creating that, like, business part, the agency part the event series part but I was always aware and I spoke about it with Misha I was like yeah at some point that decision has to be made and will be made and I did this last year or end of last year and 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 2017 for me looks it looks very inspiring and it looks it, it feels very good what was the decision to shut the agency down like like were you thinking about it for weeks and weeks or you kind of that just came to you and think, this is what I have to do. The more and more I got busy with like touring, the busier the agency got, I realized that I cannot give 100% for either the agency or for myself as an, as an artist. And I, I, had a, I had a situation where I was like touring Australia for the first time. And I sat in, in the hotel in Melbourne and something happened here in Berlin where I was like, you know what, I think I should be in Berlin right now. But I am not, because... You're the furthest possible place from Berlin. <laughs> exactly. And that gave me the feeling of, okay, I don't want things to go wrong just because of me not being present, because running and managing an agency means you have to be there. 
Yeah. Even though you have people working for you, yeah, there's there's the need of someone who's like, you know, supervising it, whatever. And I felt this like, yeah, but on the other hand, you know, obviously I enjoy being away, touring, playing for people, going from here to here, to Japan, to the US, to Australia, touring Europe. Yeah. But that will affect the agency work at some point. And then I had the chance to sign up with a new agency. Actually, the, the, the process of thinking about it was actually quite a, a longer process of like weeks and months. But then the actually, okay, let's do it, that happened quite quick because I just took the chance, explained this to everyone else, everyone involved, the artist, obviously. Luckily, and I'm very thankful for that, is everyone understood what I was talking about. I guess they could see your position. Like, if you want to do one thing. Exactly. Yeah, I think everyone can refer to the situation and and realize, yeah, we we understand you. I mean, obviously, it had an effect, but luckily, uh, everyone found a new home, so no one was left behind because that was also my, you know, responsibility to not just, like, say, oh, yeah, Henning wants to move on, goodbye, uh, good luck. Did you consider, like, just stepping away and letting the agency kind of run itself well therefore i am too much of a person who wants to have control over what is going on either i run it or i shut it down that was the only two options because i enjoy being part of it and i i i enjoyed having this agency because now i have this experience with running an agency i could do that again at any given time you know that also gives me this certain security. You can do things with after, let's say, your artistic career based on what you have done before your artistic career. That gives me, again, the confidence to say, okay, full-on 100% artist. One thing I wanted to ask, but uh, we didn't really get around to it. How do you look for music now? Obviously use a lot of, like, you know digital media to discover stuff and are you also like you're obviously you're getting sent lots of promos but a you're lots, going through a lots, lots of, of promos them. yeah i um sometimes i get a bit overwhelmed because um i collect the promos i get throughout the week and i put them in a folder and when i then open the folder i'm like god damn it there's a lot a lot of new music so it takes quite a few hours to go through it select it Obviously, you have to give feedback to download the music. Um, so, yeah, new music I get through promos. Older music, obviously, through... I love YouTube. You dig deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Discogs is great. Record stores, I have to say, I could spend more time in record stores. But based on my experience that I buy... I bought a lot of records used in record stores and... In the end, I didn't play it out. You know, I spent a lot of money on records that just ended up in my record shelf. And I cut that down a little bit. And I I get more efficient when I discover something online and hunt it down than in the real world. Yeah, because I guess in the real world, you're like, you're more excited. You're like, oh, yeah, I'll take it. Sounds good. Like this instant buy. Kind of you just take it because you think, oh, maybe I'll play it. Exactly. And I got, I realized that this, maybe I'm going to play it. Okay, no, you better leave it here because you won't play it. Yeah. I would say that I'm more present online 
uh, and then take it offline, so to say, go to a record store. And from there on, you can then again discover and dig deeper. But like the initial like kind of like search search for new stuff happens for me at least mainly online because I also got over you know you go to let's say record loft and you're in front of thousands of records and you're like oh yeah basically I have to listen to every single one because I might you know miss something yeah you know and that gives me the feeling of yeah I'm overwhelmed by the sheer amount of music I do not know and I just cut it off not look at it because then I'm not aware of <laughs> ignorance is bliss. <laughs> like, exactly, <laughs> that's exactly the thing. This is this is how I I channel, you know, the amount of input. You know, we got well, okay, online. There's also a lot of stuff, but it goes quicker. You know, that's what I think. And with uh, experience, and the longer you do it, at least I developed a very efficient system of not getting lost online because this is also what can obviously happen. I have my channels where I find I don't waste too much time, actually. I, I would say I waste more time in record stores than I waste time online, I think. And you're playing a lot of new stuff. Yeah. Because I've been thinking so many, like, good house DJs are only playing old stuff or mostly old stuff. But it seems with techno, the top people are still, there's lots of great techno still coming out. Oh, yeah. And I wonder what that is about techno. There's old techno that obviously is still and will always be unbeatable. Yeah. But I I get so much new music, which fits like together with old music because obviously new music has reference to uh, old music these days quite intensively yeah? when you look at like older downward stuff there there was a time when there was a lot of like new new downward styled techno but I find new and modern techno actually quite fresh you know I enjoy playing that out and combining it with older stuff obviously we have to refer to the past to understand the present or the yeah and also to create the future but only playing classics techno was always about you know evolution something new that's what i was thinking that's yeah. what's that's how techno has escaped this uh totally retro thing yeah because it's still this idea of the new exactly maybe. yeah and i think these days we have the possibilities due to technology software but also new hardware to create music that is future sound. I mean, okay, there's the saying that uh, there's nothing new under the sun, yeah? But as long as you somehow think that what you are doing is new, then we should work on that and use use the chance and use the possibilities to create something new um, with reference to older stuff. But yeah, Let's look into the future and, yeah, play out classics, but do not rely on what people have been doing years ago. Just like, yeah, I don't know, find your own, very own way. I think it would be boring to play only modern and new stuff. And it's also boring to just play classics, you know, because you're not a jukebox, you're not a hit machine, you're not, you know, just combine it. And this is the way I I, um, I enjoy it the most, the combination of also playing records, playing CDJs, you know, like the combination of the, the formats 
is something and the yeah again technology with CDJs you can you can you can do things you cannot do with vinyl obviously which is actually something very interesting so I try to combine these like the, the old world the new world and create something you know that's the thing because when you're combining it that is creating something new yeah you know yeah yeah and I think this is we're we're actually living in very great times and people are very open to stuff and people are very interested in hearing new stuff um, and it is challenging to make great new stuff that that has an impact you know and that is that is yeah the challenging part of it is what actually makes you as an artist feel alive and obviously challenged yeah to create to do your best you know 